our communion meditation is in John. And the text is just a few verses, 31 to 35, but I'll read from 13 through the end of the chapter. Uh, so we're in John 13, starting at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the uh, truth of your word, the fact that we can rely upon uh, your Bible to guide us uh, in this world uh, like no other uh, source of information can. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the fact that your Spirit also guides us, and we pray now that your Holy Spirit would guide us to a good and proper understanding of your word. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So the context is that we're in a series that is exclusive to John. Uh, the synoptic gospels all run parallel to one another in so much, but John really runs uh, counter to a lot of the other gospels. It just doesn't include a lot of the stories the others do, and it includes a lot of stuff that we don't see elsewhere. And so last week we talked about this foot washing, which is only here in John. And so from that we learned that in these final hours, what Jesus wanted to share with his uh, disciples, the first message he had for them was one of 
humility, service, serving others with a humble spirit. And so now we come to the second message, but it's in the context of this betrayal uh, of Judas. And so that is in all the Gospels, uh, various, various perspectives on it. But uh, it really is part and parcel to what is going on here, so I really wanted to include it. So Jesus had foretold his betrayal, and we had two references to it. He says in verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. And he quotes the scripture, uh, he will rise up his heel against me. And then he said, I'm telling you this so that you'll know when it's time that I have told you this. This is not surprising to me, nor should it be to you. And then when Jesus had said these things in verse 21, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. We, I believe, uh, often fail to see Jesus as a man. We think of him as God, we know he was God, and yet we just really uh, minimize his humanity. And yet, when he gets to verse 21 and he says, he was troubled in spirit and testified saying, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me, he's experiencing the hurt in advance of that betrayal. What was going on right then? He knew what Judas was doing, and yet they didn't. None of the other disciples knew. I think it's really hard for us as humans to absorb the importance of something at the moment it occurs, when it's just so powerful, it's so different, and it really hasn't occurred from what you've seen, you're just hearing of it. And so we just don't feel that viscerally, but Jesus knew what was coming. He was experiencing it viscerally. So then he goes on, and now I want to come to our text, because this is the heart of it, and it's from verse 31 to 35, where he says, it's right as Judas leaves. And so this is now the second thing that Jesus wants to especially impart to his apostles, and now all the rest are without Judas. And so it's interesting to notice that the first lesson incorporated Judas, and that was where this humble service and so there, Jesus pointed to us that we are to serve everyone. We're not just to so serve those that are worthy of serving. We're to serve everyone, even those, in this case, who was going on to betray Jesus. And yet now he's talking to his apostles, and he says this. He says, little children, I shall be with you a while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So the question obviously is, what's new about this commandment to love one another? The whole second table of the law is about loving our fellow man. So the first question you have to ask is, why is this new? Why is Jesus saying this is new? And in biblical fashion, you rely upon the Bible to answer the questions you ask. And so the very same man who wrote this gospel wrote some epistles. And when you read in 1 John 2, we read very, very similar context. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. See, he introduces at least that there is an old one and there is a new one, but he really still doesn't define them, does he? 
we still don't know exactly what he's talking about. Now, in the New King James, it's not as clear. But in verse 34, this is how the New King James reads, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Semicolon. As I have loved you, you also ought love one another. So what's new? What's the new aspect that Jesus is bringing out? He says, you are to love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus is introducing a practical example and a real-life model of what it means to love one another. And so the Jews over the centuries had really ratcheted the loving of one another way down. They'd wrapped an awful lot of conditional logic around exactly how we're to love one another, such that you are really free from guilt then. Oh, well, I don't love that person because of this. I don't love that person because of that. That is not how Jesus modeled love. So he's correcting this. And so he, it's so different than what they've been practicing that he describes it as old and new, even though just as when he explains divorce, it's always the same. It's just that the humans, we humans, have so wanted to assuage our guilty consciences that we dumb it down. We make it attainable for us to achieve this. And that's really not what Jesus wants. He wants us to keep that high standard even if every day we cannot attain it. So now this new love was complete and it was unconditional. Jesus, I believe, loved Judas Iscariot, loved Peter, loved John. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew Peter was going to deny him. He knew everybody was going to abandon him. Yet it didn't alter his loving them. And so that is why we can know that God loves everyone. Yet we can't equate that with a saving love. We can't equate God loving us with him saving us. And even the love that he had for Judas was different than the love that he had for Peter, was different than the love that he had for John, was different than the love that he had for everyone. God is a person. We always try to make him into a force that behaves ec ec ecumenically across everyone and everything. And that's not the case. God is a person, just like we are a person. We are patterned after his personhood. And so God behaves differently in different situations, and yet sometimes he behaves consistently across all situations. And that's what we're calling attention to here. This is his very second lesson. So first he wanted humble service. Now what does he want? What is he modeling? He's modeling sacrificial love unconditional, sacrificial love. And they went on to exhibit it. They couldn't do it immediately. They all failed him that night, but yet they did it. So see, we are to love one another as Jesus loves us. What does that mean? It means that when we love one another, we are not to keep track of how many times people have done this or done that, or not done this or done that. We tend to do that naturally. We might ha not have a little card in our pocket that we pull out and make lists on, but yet our mind, our, our sinful tendency 
tends to drive us towards that type of list making. And that's what you ought not do. Jesus didn't do it with Judas, who had been pilfering money from the bag that was intended for the poor. And so we must not do that. We must not keep lists. When we must confront sin, let's do it lovingly, lovingly, patiently. And yet by confronting sin in others, we're loving them. We're demonstrating love for them. What do we do instead by our human sinfulness? We move just that much away from them. We don't like spending time with those people. And so we move that much further away from them until finally we're just kind of shunning them. They're in the congregation, we're shunning them effectively. And that is absolutely going against what God would have us to do. We are to love on them. Frankly, such people need us to spend more time with them, modeling what true love is, even if they take advantage of us. And so that is what we are called to do when we come to the table, to model sacrificial love for others just as Christ modeled it for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, having uh, lived out a life that was modeled for us on this earth. We cannot hide behind the fact that you are the Son of God and deny that you are a valid model for us to uh, follow after. Lord, you call us to do exactly that. And so we pray that despite our shortcomings, despite our inability to fulfill the law perfectly, that we would have no less energy applied in trying to follow the law than even what the Jews exhibited prior to uh, Christ coming to earth. We want to be diligent, Father, in loving. And so we pray that you would have us to do it well and to do it rightly. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen.